Okay, guys, we're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 2 today. We're in lesson 6. We're going to look at the first church. Um, and again, as we go through this, I want you to think in terms of this is a historical record. It's basically telling you what the Holy Spirit wanted you to know about that event that day. And, and what can we learn from it for our church? What are some things that we can learn from it for our church? Now, again, let me just remind you that this is a church that is primarily made up of, at this point, uh, Jews. If there were Gentiles in the church at this point, they were considered proselytes. What are proselytes? Well, that is, is a Gentile who converted to Judaism. Do you understand? So they would be considered a Jew, but they would be one who became a Jew, not was born a Jew. Do you understand? So this is what's going on here. So uh, let's look at this together. We're going to look, first of all, at the first two verses, verses 40 to 41, and we're going to see the response to Peter's message. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who, gl- who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, so let's take a look here. First thing, the basis of Peter's message is that people needed to be saved from this wicked world. Perverse there can also be translated crooked. We're talking about a crooked generation, a perverse generation. So let me just stop for a moment. Let's talk about sharing the gospel today. So much of our message today is, can I be honest with you, is about people... Um, making sure you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Would you say that's true today, that our gospel presentation is that you want to make sure you go to heaven, right? Did you notice something here? What is Pete, what's the basis of Peter's message here? Is he talking about make sure you go to heaven with these folks? Go back, if you want to, go back through his message there. First, most of chapter 2, is it about going to heaven? No, it's talking about Jesus Christ. And they're accepting who he is. Now we get to the place where he's talking to them about be saved from this perverse generation. See, I think that's what we're missing in our gospel message today. Okay, because let's just stop for a moment. When you look at the culture, when you look at people's lives today, would you say that everything's hunky-dory, everything's going okay? No, not at all. Would, would you say that people actually are facing misery here, just even in this life? Not just the life that's to come in hell. Would you say that there is serious issues that people are struggling with here today? And they're facing the consequences of their own sin behaviors? Would you say that's true? Okay. Here's what I want you to understand. Christianity is not just fire insurance to make sure you don't go to hell. Christianity is offering people the means, and the way to escape from here into a new life. Do you understand what I'm saying? To overcome the past life and all of the difficulties of that, that this world lives in, and and embrace a new life 
that God wants you to have. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is the message that he's giving them. Do you understand? He's giving them this message. So also, one of the things I want to point out to you that shows you that it is a historical record. Look with me at the beginning there, verse 40. Notice what it says. And with many other words, he testified. Basically, verse 40 is saying that Peter's message had a whole lot more to it than what's listed here. Do you understand? Okay. Now, Luke records that about 3,000 responded to the message and were added to the church. 3,000 Jews were added to the church. Okay? They responded and they were added to the church. Now, look at verse 42. We're going to see the church's focus. And I, I've preached many messages in the years here uh, from from this from this ver- these verses, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, this is the focus of the church. So I'm going to ask some key questions here in a moment. We're going to look at what they did. I want you to notice what we can learn from them as we go through this. Number one, look at their focus. As a group of believers, they devoted themselves as a church to four main activities. As a group of believers, they devoted themselves to four main activities. Now, as we go through these main activities, we need to start asking ourselves some questions. Are we doing that? Okay? Or how are we doing in that area? Okay? Four main areas here. So let's notice the first one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Basically, what they devoted themselves to is the teachings of Christ as given through who? The apostles. Okay? So they have devoted themselves to sound doctrine, to the teaching of the word. Okay? How are we doing with that one? Everybody get your coffee this morning? Our church. Let's not talk about the church as a whole. Well, let's, okay, let's narrow it down. Let's, let's, okay, that's there. Let's bring it down to, how's the church today doing with that? Not just our, not just our church, but the church in general today. Okay, alright. So, alright, and, and, and Bruce's response is, hmm, okay. If you want to translate that to whatever that means to you, okay? Okay, lukewarm. Anybody else? How are we doing as a church today in North America? That pretty much sum it up? Okay. All right, I've got my assessment, you know, a lot of sermons on how to have a green lawn, how to have happy kids, 10 steps to this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, not a lot of good, solid Bible teaching. And that's just where it's at. And a lot of, can I be honest with you, populist teaching. What do you mean by populist teaching? Well, populism is saying what people want to hear to get them to respond. And so a lot of times preachers will fall into where they give populist preaching. So, for instance, they're issues-oriented preaching. What do you mean? So you might go to one church where the pastor's really got a burden and a passion about abortion, 
And all he talks about all the time is what? Abortion. How about a pastor who's into politics? Okay? I remember <laughs> I remember going to a church. I don't need to tell you. You probably could figure out which church I went to. I've told you before what church I went to. When I was in school, I went to church. And this was during Bill Clinton's administration. So every Sunday, somebody would, we talked about who? We didn't talk about Jesus. We talked about Bill. Okay? And I remember Easter. It was Easter service. So we're here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're in church, and the message comes. Guess what we're talking about? Anybody want to guess? Yes! Talk about being disappointed. There were a lot of people irritated. It's one thing to have your passion be your passion in preaching, but when we come to the high holy day of Christianity, who should we be talking about? Jesus. So that's the state of, that's populist preaching, okay? All right. How are we doing here? And when we talk about here, we're not just talking about George's preaching. We're talking about the teaching program here all together. How are we doing here? Because there's more to our teaching program than just George's preaching. There's Bible studies and so forth. What, how are we doing here? Okay, Rhonda says we think we're doing good. Okay. Yep, everybody agree. We're doing okay. We're, we're studying the Bible. We're learning the apostles' doctrine, right? Okay. All right, let's look at the next main thing. They devoted themselves to intimate relationships with each other. That's what fellowship means there. When they talk about fellowshipping, listen, the Baptist way of saying fellowship is a meal. You know, having food. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Fellowship is intimate relationships. They devoted themselves steadfastly to not just to to the apostles' doctrine, but they devoted themselves to relationships in the church. Do you understand? They devoted themselves to relationships in the church. You know, I've been I've been pastoring now over 20 years. And I'm just going to give you an assessment, okay? Here's what I've noticed. And you can mark this down, okay? If you separate yourself from relationships in a church, the chances are you're gone. Did you understand? Eventually, you will disappear. You will leave. In fact, you will leave, but you will also say that the church wasn't friendly and the church wasn't family. But I'm going I'm to be honest with you. That would be true from your perspective, but I would say to you, what you did was is you separated yourself from intimate relationships with other people. See, a component of church is not just coming and listening. A component of church is developing intimate relationships with other people so that they know what's going on in your life and can pray for you, and you know what's going on in their life, and you can pray for them and serve them as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you separate yourself from the intimacy of with other people, you're isolating yourself. And that's not, that's not 
biblical church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So I'm just, why am I saying that? Because it's incumbent upon you. I know you might be shy, but it's incumbent upon you to be friendly and reach out to other people and they'll reach out. I'm not saying reach out to everybody. Do you understand? In fact, I don't know of anybody here in our church that has a relationship with everybody in the church. Do you know what I'm saying? You have relationships with other people, hopefully, but as far as having a relationship with, that's not, we're not asking you to do that. Okay. But we're asking you to what? Have intimate relationships with each other. See, this is an area we've got to examine. How are we doing there? I'm not going to ask you that question, okay? This is one I'm not going to ask you. But they devoted themselves to intimate relationships with each other. Anybody got a question about that? Anybody got a question? Okay. So we understand. That's an important part. Here, let me just stop for a moment. All right? How many of you ever been in a cold, dead church? Where you walked in, nobody cared. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm telling you right now, the reason why they're cold and dead is because they did not have fellowship. They did not have intimacy to have opportunities to, to connect with each other. You know what? We're going to take this bus trip out three hours out to Ohio to a men's conference. Two reasons why we're doing it. Number one, to encourage our men in their relationship with Christ. Number two, the three-hour bus ride. What do you mean? Three hours of guys acting like they're on a school bus again. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm saying? You know, three hours, that, that's going to be intimacy. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Right? Right? Okay. Don't laugh, ladies. I saw when you rode the bus down to Smicksburg, okay? So, all right. All right, here's the other one. Communion. They devoted themselves to remembering the sacrifice of Jesus through communion. They devoted themselves to remembering what Jesus Christ did by partaking in the Lord's table. In fact, that's what we're going to do today. Palm Sunday, we historically here at our church have communion, so we're going to be partaking of that later. And uh, so that's again. So communion, the ordinances are an important part of a church. Do you understand? Here's the other one, prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Let's, let's, let's pull back a little bit. How, how are we doing in America with this one? I'm talking about America as far as the church. Don't talk about America, about the church. Two different things. How's the church in America doing with this one? Bruce is shaking his head no. Anybody else? How are we doing? Okay. All right, we're praying for the wrong thing. What is your last part there? I didn't hear you, bro. We're, we're using prayer in the wrong way. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Okay, how about us as a church? And you're not going to shock me because we are, I've already known, we've acknowledged some things here. So how are we doing as a church? And listen, prayer is not just whether or not we take prayer requests. How are we doing as a church as far as prayer? We're improving 
is what Randy is saying, okay? And, and why we, he could say that is because we weren't, we had left, we kind of have sloughed off on prayer. We used to have prayer times, but for a long time we didn't do prayer times. So we, we've been improving now, okay? So prayer, we need to be praying. They devoted themselves to praying. So what do we need to pray for? Yeah, pray for your country, great. But pray for who first? The church and each other. Do you understand? The church and each other. So now notice now, verse 43, we're going to talk about their fear. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So notice now the fear of God. They were marked by a reverential fear and awe of God in their midst. This is one thing I think is missing today in, in churches. I think it's missing, we, we might as well say it's missing with us. We have so made God our buddy. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with, with capitalizing on the fact that you have a relationship with the living God. But I'm going to tell you right now, he's not your buddy. He's not your co-pilot. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is the God of the universe. And he is awesome and powerful. And if it wasn't for his grace, you would be going to hell to get what you rightly deserve. And that is death for your sins. I hate to say it that way, but that's reality. So we have to be in awe of the greatness of God. Did you understand what I'm saying? Now, the difficulty for us in, in coming to wrap our brain around that is that we're Americans and we're in awe of nobody. Do, do you know what I'm saying? We're in awe of nobody and we answer to nobody. So fearing anybody is almost non-existent. How do you know that? We don't fear police anymore, do we? We should, but we don't, not as a culture. We don't fear anybody in authority. We don't fear our judges. We don't have a fear anymore. And in the church, we don't have a fear for God. But these folks, they were marked by a fear and awe of God in their midst. And then here's what happened. Because they had that belief and awe of God, the, the God's mighty power was shown through the ministry of the apostles. They saw God do mighty things in their midst. All right, so let me challenge you here. Could it be that the reason why myself and you do not see God doing amazing things that only he can do in our lives and in the people around us is because we've lost our awe of him, which means we've lost the belief that he can do that. Because we've just made him our buddy. He's our comforter. Our, he, he, he's, you know, he's just somebody to go grab a hold of when we're hurting. But could it be that the reason why we don't see God doing things is because of what we view him as. And, and I'll be honest with you, then that goes immediately into the next step. 
That affects how you pray. How you view God affects how you pray. If you have a low view of God, you're going to have a low view of prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? What do you mean by that, George? Okay, let's say, all right, Bruce is a manager here, all right? If, let's say I worked at his business. Let's say he decided to take a chance and hire me, okay? All right. He's regretting it, but he's decided he's going to do that. So, okay, I'm working for Bruce. Now, if I've got a laissez-faire attitude about Bruce, and i got to have somebody make a decision in an area and somebody do something, if I don't believe Bruce can handle it, if I don't believe Bruce has got the power to do it, am I going to go to Bruce? No, I'm going to figure it out some other way, right? Hope it happens. But if I know that he's the buck stops with Bruce at the business and, 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 and he's the one that, you know, ultimately he's the one who makes the decisions and whatever, who am I going to go to if I got that respect? I'm going to go to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, this is what I'm talking about. If you've got a low view of God in your life, you're going to have a low view of prayer. Well, I pray, yeah, you only pray once. You don't pray it through. You're not persistent in prayer. One of the things the scripture talks about is being persistent in prayer, right? See, that's an exercise of faith in God is your persistence in prayer. See, these folks had an awe of God, a reverential awe, and they saw God do amazing things through the apostles. Do you understand? I'm going to tell you right now, folks. You want to see God do amazing things in our church? I want to see God do amazing things in our church. You want to see God do amazing things in our church? Yeah. You want to see God answering prayer and stuff? Here's what's got to change. My attitude and your attitude about God's got to change. Bottom line. My belief, your belief about God's got to change. How we view God, how I view God's got to change. I've got to have a fear of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? A fear of him that he's able to do it. Why do you think, can I stop for a moment? Why do you think Jesus so on so many occasions said to you and I that coming to him in faith is like a little child? Why does he, why does he do that? Why, why do you think he uses an, a little child to illustrate what faith is like? What do you think? They, you can tell them anything and they'll believe it. And what do they believe about you? Dad can do anything. You know, I remember, I've told, I think I've told you this before. I remember when we were in Canada, Maddie was small, Foster was small. And Maddie had a toy and she broke it and she came up and said, Daddy broke. She brought me this toy for me to fix that she broke. Well, I don't know how to fix that toy. I didn't say to her, I can't fix it, sweetie. I said, okay, I'll take it. I got rid of it. She didn't know any better. Do you understand what I'm saying? But she's, in her mind, dad could do it. You know what I'm saying? In your mind, do you believe God can do it? Don't answer that. You know in your heart whether or not you believe that. See, this is the issue of fear. It's connected to the issue of prayer.
Okay, that's a good point, but I, I do know that she did keep asking. Okay. I mean, if it's your favorite toy, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, when you have little ones, they keep asking you. So, um, yeah, but that's a good point, though. You, you learn to leave it. Well, yeah, yeah, our wisdom is God thinks it's foolishness. Do you know what I'm saying? So, okay, look, let's look, we're going to continue on verse 44 and 45. We're going to talk again about relationships within a church, mutual care. Now, all who believed were together and all things, had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them, divided them among all as anyone had a need. Now, these verses have, every time I've heard these verses, I remember when I was a younger Christian, being preached, I always hear the preachers, and this is not communism. Well, okay, you're missing the point of what's being said here. It's not communism, but let's not distract it by saying that. Let's talk about what it actually says, and there's a lesson here for us, okay? The church had a mutual concern for each other that resulted in selflessness towards things. People were more important to them than their things. That's the issue. If you want to write that down that way, go ahead. People were more important to them than their things. Now, that says that something's happened spiritually inside of you if you get to that point, right? If you get to the point where you're like, you are more important to me than the stuff I have, that's a spiritual transformation because that's not natural. Natural on our part is, is we're going to guard our stuff, right? We're going to protect our stuff. This is what was going on here, this supernatural work in the church. They had a mutual concern for each other that resulted in selflessness towards things. In fact, they willingly sold their possession to help others within the church. Now notice something, the text does not say that they sold everything and divided what they had among everybody. Wasn't that what it says? You're missing the last part. Look at what it says, as anyone had a need. The focal point is here is as somebody had a need, people were willing to do what? And they did. They sold stuff that they had to meet the need of other people. Why? Because people were more important. See, this is the issue we've got to ask ourselves as a church. This is where we've got to ask ourselves as a church, are people more important than anything else for us as a church? That's the bottom line. Are people more important? And ultimately, are their souls, whether or not they know Jesus Christ, more important than anything else? That's the ultimate thing. Do you understand? And I'll be honest with you, I think, can I be honest with you, we've been doing good in this area, but, here's the big but, but we got a long way to go as far as being concerned about people's souls and whether or not they know Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Would you agree with me? Would you? I don't know if I agree with you, George. Yeah, we, we really need, you need to listen to me, we really need to be concerned about people's souls whether or not they know Jesus. Because listen, the misery, the lack of hope that they're in is only going to be perpetuated and continued until they come to know who? Jesus. Do you understand? So, all right, now let's look. 
the nature of the church, verses 46 and 47. He's going to sum it all up here. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay, so here's the nature of the church. First of all, the unity. The church met daily together in corporate worship. Now, that's not possible today. They could do that back then. But they made it a priority to meet together. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to say something that's controversial. If you don't like what I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but I have to say it. If coming and being a part of the church is an option to you, then that says something. That's not good about you, spiritually. Just being honest. Because church needs to be more than just an option. If you're a believer, it needs to be a necessity. Because, why? Those four main areas. Good teaching for your life. Intimate relationships with each other. Participating in the life of the church through the ordinances, and then what? Prayer. You need that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you are debating whether or not to come to church because it's just like one option among many that day, that really does say something about your life. Because I'm going to be honest with you folks, write this down, I've said it to you before, Church is more than the service. Do you understand? Church is more than the morning worship service. Church is who? The people. This should be your second, this is your spiritual family. Do you understand? Not your biological family, but your spiritual family. So these folks met daily together in corporate worship. Okay, here's, church also met in homes as they celebrated communion together. I know that's a stretch for us. We don't like having anybody over our house except people we know, people we're related to. But what they did was is they had such intimate relationships with each other, they carried on, said, hey, come on back over to the house. The wife's going to slave away in the kitchen. We could talk outside, you know. That's the way it is, isn't it? So, I mean, but they had time together, all right? Let's go on. Here's their joy. They lived daily, they lived their daily lives in simplicity of the heart, of their hearts and gladness towards God. They lived their daily lives in the simplicity of their hearts. And the gladness towards God. They had joy. Joy. Isn't that what, we talked about that last Sunday in the message, didn't we? We talked about that's what God wants, our joy to be full. Fullness and joy comes not by isolating yourself, but by being a part of what? Other believers. Here's their praise. They continue to praise God. And then finally, here's their witness. People outside of the church looked on them with favor. I'll stop for a moment. Why do you think they looked on them with favor? Think about everything we just talked about now. 
Why do you think they looked on them with favor? Anybody? Okay, counted on them for helping, okay, their service to the community, okay. All right, anybody else? Okay, that's really good, Rhonda. So the people who aren't a part see that they have something that they don't have. Okay, all right, that's good. Okay, yeah, but that, we're talking about looking at favor. We're not talking about somebody taking advantage of us here. Okay, you're talking about somebody taking advantage. And people do do that, okay? Here's what I want you to see. It's not because of the four main things. The four main things, what are they? Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, um, prayer, and communion, the, the ordinances, okay? It's not because of those things, because why? Judaism was already doing a lot of prayer and, and, and submitting to teaching of the Old Testament and things like that, being a part of the temple life. That's, religion was not the issue. It was their lives being changed and being reflective of that change that, that they found favor. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was the impact of their lives. What can we learn from that? You don't need to respond to that. Here's, here's the other thing. This resulted in more people being saved and being added to the church. Okay, so here's what you could say. Here's a summarizing point. It's not your religious activity that's going to, to affect people for the gospel. It's your changed life. Do you understand? It's not your religious activity that will affect people for the gospel. It's your changed life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so let me just stop. Here's one thing. I'll I'll close with this. Here's one thing that disturbs me lately. Okay, I've been a believer now for 30 years. And yeah, we have... I mean, a lot's happened in 30 years. But here's the trend that is bothering me today. Okay? And it's not because I'm 50 years old. Okay? I guess I find it really hard to swallow when people tell me it's okay to live like the world because they got freedom, because they got Jesus. I guess I got a problem with that. Because that's not the testimony of the Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I making my point? Maybe I didn't say it the right way. I guess I'm trying to say, I guess I'm really bothered by people living like hell who said they live they, that they're Christians and that they're that they're justified in doing that now. No, you're not, because your life should be an example of what is the opposite. What did he say earlier in the be saved from this what perverse, wicked, crooked generation? Our lives should be different, right? Well, that's just getting into legalism. No, no, I'm talking about you living a life transformed by God, not just following a bunch of rules. That's what will affect people for the gospel, okay?